Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, I Love My Church, but... In this series, we're looking at what the church is about, its values, and some things we need to be doing. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil has us looking at ways more of us can serve our church and our communities. Listen as Pastor Dave lays a challenge before us about where we should serve, why we should serve, and how we should serve. Years ago, there was a quiet man that lived high above an Austrian village on the eastern side of the Alps. He had been hired by the town council years and years ago to clear away the debris and the pools of water high above in the mountain and the hills uh, that would that would feed the spring into the town. And so faithfully and regularly, he would walk the mountain, he would walk the hills, and he would clear away branches, he would clear away rotting leaves, he would wipe the silt away on these pools of water, and if he didn't do that, it would otherwise contaminate the water that was going into this wonderfully cute town. And it was cute, and it was quaint, and it was very attractive, and uh, tourists love going the the mill, we- mill wheels were slowly churning the water in the center of the uh, of the spring in town, and the swans were floating along. Um, flowers were blooming. People loved to go to this little town. One uh, particular evening, the town council got together, and uh, they were going to review the budget. And as they were going through the budget, they came across the salary for this keeper of the spring, and they started to ask, "Who is this keeper of the spring? What does he do?" As has anyone ever seen him? No one had. And after a quick conversation, they decided to dispense of his services, deciding that they, they didn't think they needed him anymore. And initially, everything was fine. For the first couple months, everything went along in the town. And, and, and the town council thought to themselves, see, it had been a waste of money to have this keeper of the spring on the books. But then after a couple months, uh, people de- de- detected that there was a, a yellowish brown tint in the water. A week later, it was followed by some, some sticky slime on the surface. And then very quickly, they detected a foul odor coming from the spring. The swans went away, the tourists went away, and the town council quickly gathered again and reconvened, and they quickly hired and reinstated this man, realizing the big, awful mistake that they had made. Now, this is a quaint story coming out of Europe, but it has some very practical implications with respect to how a church can and should work. The reality is, is that we have literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of individuals in this church that are keepers of the spring. Because of their personality type, because of their gifting, that they will never be the individuals that stand up here on stage. They will never be the individuals that are featured prominently in a ministry. They are behind the the, the scenes. They are keepers of the spring, regularly and faithfully doing a ministry that hardly anyone knows about. But because they do what they do, we as a church are able to have the kind of health and the kind of effectiveness that we have. Keepers of the spring behind the scenes. This morning, uh, the reason I shared that story with you is because as we continue in this new series that we started last week, what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is this. I love this church. I really do. After 20 years of being here, I love this church more than when I got here. I love being the pastor of this church. But there are a couple things I want us to tweak 
and to change if we can. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is this. I love this church, but I wish and I want for more people to get involved in this thing called church and to serve and to participate in this team called Bay Hills. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. That's what I want to challenge you with this morning. And 30 minutes from now, I'm hoping that some of you will make decisions to jump on the team. But what I want to do is I want to break down with you. If you grab your study guide, you want to jot some notes down. We're going to talk about where we should serve. How do we figure that out? Why we should serve. And then for those of you who are already serving, how we should serve. Because that does matter. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have your verses, uh, your Bibles, I'm going to be able to put these verses up on the screen. But if you don't know the church of Corinth, and if you haven't read the book of Corinthians, what you very quickly discover about this church is that they were messed up. They were jacked up as a church. Every single chapter, Paul is bringing up a different issue and a different problem to address with them. They had problems because they were accepting sin in the church. They had one, 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 one son that was sleeping with a mother-in-law and everybody thought it was no big deal. And Paul says, what is your problem? They had leadership problems. They had worship service problems. They had all these kinds of issues. People were suing each other in the church. Problem after problem after issue after issue. And finally we get to chapter 12. And Paul addresses another problem that the church of Corinth had. And this is what the problem was. The church at Corinth didn't realize, didn't understand the significance and the importance of everybody being part of the team, of everybody participating somewhere, somehow. The message that God had for the church of Corinth then, he has for Bay Hills this morning, and it's a very, very simple message. And this is it. I'm glad you're volunteering here and glad you're volunteering there outside of the church, but I expect... Every one of you, if you call Bay Hills your home, if you are being spiritually fed here, I'm expecting you to be part of the team. I'm expecting you to find somewhere and do something. That's the message of first Corinthians chapter 12. Now, what I want to do is I want to read through some of it with you and see how, how, how valuable this is, not only for the church, but for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to start. And let me read them for you. He says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. The idea is some of us really don't always get it. He says, I I want to make sure you get it. This thing about spiritual gifts and serving and volunteering. And then drop down, we're going to pick up verse 4 and 5. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. But the same Holy Spirit, the same God distributes them. We're going to talk about what gifts are here in a moment. And then he has, he says this, there are different kinds of service. In other words, there are different places you can volunteer, but there's always the same Lord. Now, the first question we're going to try and answer is where do we serve? And if you're jotting down notes, here's what I want you to write write down. You have to discover your shape. You have to discover your shape. I don't know if you've ever gone into a nursery or a a classroom for young kids and you've seen this toy. It looks like a ball, but it's got different holes in it and and it's got different shapes. And one is like a a yellow star and the other one is a blue triangle and the other one is a is an octagon that's red. And they've got these different shapes. And what the kid is supposed to do is supposed to take the shape. Right. And they're supposed to put it into the slot where it fits. And it is both supposed to be entertaining to the child but also educational, right? Because they learn their shapes. 
And now one of the issues that you're going to have is if you watch the kid long enough, eventually they're going to get a shape and they're going to try and fit the, the triangle into where the square goes. And they're going to realize eventually it doesn't fit and they're going to get frustrated until they find where the triangle sp- space is. What I want to help you understand is that some of us do the exact same thing when it comes to volunteering. God has created you with a unique shape. And you understand the value of serving, so you go, I'm going to try and slot myself in to a certain position, and you start to get frustrated, and it's not because of the ministry, it's because God has shaped you in a different way, and you just have to find the different slot where you're supposed to fit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, from the New Jerusalem Bible, God shaped man from the soil of the ground, and he blew breath of life into his nostrils. First lesson is that God shaped you, God made you. Job chapter 10, verse 8 from the good news. The hands, your hands, God's hands formed and shaped me. You do realize God could have just created all of us alike, right? He could have just put us on a conveyor belt and like a cookie cutter, we all come out looking alike and every one of us the same, but he didn't. Every one of us has a unique shape. We all have a unique shape physically, don't we? We all look differently. My friend Terrence, who did announcements, he's shaped like a basketball player. If you've seen him play basketball, he knows how to play basketball. I'm shaped like a soccer player. I know how to play soccer. God, that's how God shaped me. Our worship pastor, Joy, he's shaped like a ballerina. It's just it's, it's with how God has made him to be. Makes us feel awkward when he wears his tutu around the office, but it's, you know, we're all shaped differently. Every single one of us is shaped differently. Scientists tell us that uh, in one cubic inch of snow, one cubic inch of snow, there are 18 million different snowflakes, none of them alike. And the, the, the incredible thing about Genesis 1 is that God creates each and every one of us with a unique shape, not just physically, but spiritually. And when you are trying to figure out where should I fit in, the first question to ask is, what's my shape? What's my shape? Now, let me help you understand what this means. Let's put the next slide up there. Each of these letters stands for different things. The word S stands for spiritual gifts. That's what you've got to figure out. What are my spiritual gifts? When you get saved, God gives you four different gifts. He gives you the gift of forgiveness. He gives you the gift of salvation. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gives you at least one spiritual gift. That's what the Bible tells us. He empowers you in a special, unique way so that you can contribute to this thing called the team of a church, the body of a church. And there are all kinds of different gifts. There are gifts of mercy and compassion. There are gifts of teaching and leadership. There are gifts of prayer and faith. There are gifts of mercy and all kinds of different gifts. We all have at least one, but we don't have all of them. At the most, we have two or three that we're really good at. Now, what you have to understand is as you're trying to figure out where do I slot in, the first question you always ask is, what are my spiritual gifts? What are my gifts? Now, some of you just have to look at a list and, oh, yeah, I'm that. No, I'm not that. Others of us, we we actually have a survey online on our website that takes you about 30 minutes to fill out, and you fill it out on your own. You grade yourself, so to speak, and it comes out with the top two or three gifts based upon the way they answered the questions. But you have to try and figure out where am I gifted? What, what do I do? And then understand that gifts respond differently to different situations. That's what makes them unique. Well, let's assume that we go to someone's house and we're having a party. We're having a party because it's someone's birthday. We're done with the burgers. We're done with the hot dogs. It's time to bring the birthday cake out. 
And everybody starts singing as, as the, the host brings the birthday kick into the living room. And as they're walking in, they drop the cake. Goes all over the floor. The singing stops. Everyone in that living room with different spiritual gifts are going to respond differently to that situation. The person with the gift of mercy is going to go up to the person who dropped the cake and say, it's okay, it's no problem. I didn't really want cake. The person with the gift of administration is going to say, okay, I want you to go get paper towel. I want you to go to the garage and get some the mop it and the bucket. And, the, and I want you to go and find, go into the kitchen and see if we can come up with another place to put the, the candles and sing happy birthday. The gift of administration. The person with the gift of helps, they don't say anything. They're already back with a, a wipe and something. They're wiping that because they're behind the scenes helping. The person with the gift of leadership is, don't worry, nobody panic, we're going to be all right. The person with the gift of teaching is going to say, well, you know, there's three reasons why they dropped the cake. And I have a PowerPoint presentation for that. The first is they were walking too fast and they explain it all. And then they tell the person to teach them how to carry cakes more appropriately for next time. Right. The person with the gift of encouragement is just going to go up to him, give him a hug. And while they're giving him a hug, trying to encourage him, they're going to whisper in their ear. They're going to go, I really didn't want cake. I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm glad you dropped the cake. They're just trying to encourage the individual. The person with the gift of giving pulls out 40 bucks and go, I'll, I'll donate 40 bucks if someone runs to Safeway and just buys another cake. The person with the gift of prophecy says, I could have told you that was going to happen. Everybody <laughs> responds differently to the situation. And what you've got to figure out is what are my spiritual gifts? And if you don't know, you've got to figure that out. I don't care if you take a survey, at least look at the list. In 1 Corinthians 12, he's got about 10 of them listed. And then in Ephesians 4, he's got another three or four. And then Romans 12, he's got another. Just go on the website, download the document, and just look at the final list. I don't care if you take it or not. Some of you will want to take it. It'll be very interesting. Now, not only do you have to discover what your gifts are, you have to discover what your heart or your passion is. Now, this is very, very important, right? My primary two spiritual gifts are leadership and teaching. And when someone, ident by the way, it's not only you identifying it, but it's others affirming it, right? So if no one affirms that I have the gift of teaching, I don't have the gift of teaching. Does that make sense? Everybody's like, no, we didn't get anything out of that. Eventually, you got to get a clue. Now, here's the problem that some of us have. We think that whatever we're passionate about, that's where we should serve. If we're excited about it, that's where we should serve. That's not always the case. You want to know the biggest area we have issues in this church when it comes to the H, the heart, the passion? It's what happens right up here with worship. Because we have people go, oh, I'm passionate about worship. Oh, I love to praise Jesus. But they can't sing a lick. <laughs> they have wonderful heart and passion, but they don't have the spiritual gift. You've got to have the honesty to know I'm passionate about worship or something else, but based upon my spiritual gift, then the ministry leader or the pastor is going to figure out where to slot me, and I can still serve in, in the worship ministries, but I'm not going to be behind the microphone. When I determined and discovered I had the gift of teaching, here's how it works out with the H or the heart or the passion. Well, what size of people do I want to teach? Do I want to teach second graders or do I want to teach teenagers or do I want to teach adults? That's the arch. Uh, the hard time. That's the H. That's the passion. And I'm passionate to teach adults. It's not that I don't like teaching kids. I just I, I don't have as much of a harder passion for that. Then you just ask abilities. Every one of you has natural abilities. 
Some of you are great at computers. Some of you are great at cooking. Some of you are great at gardening. Some of you are great at organizing things. You know, some of you are great at fixing cars. And some of you are very athletic. And some of you are great salespeople. By the way, you heard we got the cars donated for the Imagine campaign. When we were getting to, get ready to sell them, you know what we did? We recruited someone who is a great salesman to sell those suckers. Does that make sense? Why? Because they have that ability. We all have these different abilities. Some of you are good with fashion and decorating things. Some of you are really good. You can, you know, do this with your tongue. I don't know how that's going to help the kingdom, but everybody has abilities. You got to figure out what are you good at? Because it begins to answer the question, where should I slot in? I'm sorry if I distracted you with the tongue. I know probably very inappropriate. What are your abilities? The next is personality. Now, real simple. They got all these different personality tests. Uh, are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Or where do you fall in that slot? Because that answers the question to some extent where you should serve. Let me give you an example. Are ushers, the people when you walk in, the first people you see, normally, what do we want them to be? Introverts or extroverts? We don't want the person to hand you the bulletins. No, we want you to look them in the eye and smile and say, how you doing? Welcome to Bay Hills. Now, in, in people that are behind the scenes and organizing, it's not that they're extreme extroverts, but they tend to be more on this end. The people that are extroverts, by the way, they tend to be more introverts. People that are extroverts, you better put them on a team because they want to be with people. So you have to know yourself. You have to know where, who am I? And who you are begins to answer the question, where do I slot in? Right. The last one is experiences. I don't care if you were raised by the Cosby's or the Simpsons. God can use your past. I don't care if you were in a gang or you grew up in a a convent. God can use your past. In fact, there are verses in that in the Bible that tells us in some cases that the the things that, that we did wrong and the difficulties that we had in the past. God uses those for his glory in the future. If you'll let him. If you'll let him. So the first thing you need to identify is what is my shape? And you could just kind of, this is going to take a little bit of work and homework. But once you discover who you are, it becomes very easy and natural to say, these two or three things, that's what I'm going to be best at. That's where I'm going to be most motivated by. That's where I'm going to be most productive and helpful to the team. That's where you should serve. The second thing I want to talk to you is about why you should serve. Write this down. You need to realize the importance of being part of a team or being part of a body, which is the illustration he uses. You see, when you and I serve, three things happen. And here's the first thing. It makes the church stronger. It makes the church stronger. You, you know why geese fly in a group in formation? Do you know why they do that? Because they go 71% further when they fly in a group than if they fly by themselves. And the same is true of our church. The more people we get part of the team, the more effective we are. Every single time. Every single time. The church is stronger. Now, I, got, I, I understand. Uh, and like, don't misunderstand me. We have a ton of people already serving at Bay Hills. In fact, when we do a statistical analysis of people that are serving here, Versus statistical analysis of percentage of people that are serving at other churches, Bay Hill comes out higher. 
But I don't want to compare myself to other churches. I would much prefer to compare myself to what this Bible says or what this book says in terms of how a church should work. Do you agree with me? And this book says everybody should be serving. No asterisks at the bottom of the page. Now, the reality and the practicality is I do know that some of you are brand new to this church. And it just it just takes some time to get into the life of the church. I got that. Don't feel bad about that. I also realize practically, sometimes we are at a stage in life. Maybe we got a lot of young kids in the home. Maybe we have a brand new baby. Maybe we're working two jobs. Maybe I got school. And it just, my schedule makes it really hard. I got that. Don't feel guilty about that. But then there's a ton of us that should be serving. We should be doing something somewhere. Here's how Paul says it. Let's put those verses up there. First Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one of us, the manifestation of the spirit is given. Now that means every single one of you gets at least one spiritual gift, at least something you're super good at. Right. And oh, by the way, some of you have certain gifts and are going to be much better at certain ministries than I am. We have discovered over the years that you do not want Pastor Dave to go to the hospital when someone has had surgery. Because I don't have the gift of mercy. I'm going to tell you to buck up and get back to church. We need you. Come on, you could do it. You want someone with a little more compassion and mercy, right? If I show up to the church, you're about ready to meet Jesus. That's why I'm there, right? Compassion. Some of you've got it and are much better on those teams than I am. By the way, it doesn't mean that I don't care and don't have mercy and compassion. It just means I don't express it as well as some of you do. That's the issue. Each one of you is given a manifestation of spirit. Each one of you has a gift. Every single one. Now notice, why? For the common good. It's not for your good. It's for the person next to you and behind you. It's for the common good so that we all win. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. He gets into this illustration of a body. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary. And he compares us to a body. And he says, a body is more is most effective when all the pieces and parts of the body work together. My body works best when my brain sends signals to my legs and my feet in terms of where it should go. My body works best when my hand communicates and gets gets food to my mouth so it can chew it and, and, and feed me. My body works best when my fingers help out my neck when I got an itch and they scratch. They all work together. And the body of Christ, the team called church, works best when everybody is doing something. When everybody is contributing somewhere, somehow. Now, I got to tell you, we're doing fairly good at this church, but there are some huge areas of need. And I'm going to tell you the two biggest areas of need right now. Children's and student ministries. Children and students. Uh, not surprisingly, by September, both of those ministries will not have full-time staff members. And they both have some significant needs. Just by way of illustration, we have a volunteer in our children's ministry right now that have sh- has showed up to church for the last two months. In the last two months, however, they've only come to church and sat where you sat once out of eight weeks. You know Why? Because they have no one to take their spot. And so for two services in a row, they're back there working with our kids. 
Now, I'm not telling you this to feel guilty. I'm just asking. Shouldn't that convict us? Do we think that's okay? I don't I don't think that's okay. Do you? We have enough people here that we should be able to fill that slot so her and others can participate in Sunday morning worship service. We have needs with youth ministry, you know, all in all kinds of different slots. Doesn't mean you have to be some crazy person and have fun with the junior hike. No, we have organizational needs and all kinds of different things. Planning needs, right? Sometimes you serve based upon your shape. But I, as a pastor for the last 25 years, 20 here at Bay Hills, here's what's interesting is I found that people will use their shape as an excuse for not serving in certain ministries because they'll go, well, I know there's a need there, but that's not my spiritual gift. So I'm not going to do that. That becomes problematic because sometimes where you serve should be based on where's there the biggest need. Where's the need? Where do we need help? And you should at least ask yourself, is there any reason I can't help there? Perfect example happened to me about five, six years ago. We were in our old facility at the gym. We had three services there. After one of the services, I, I went behind the curtain. I went to the back. The worship pastor was wrapping up the service. We were singing a song. We were taking offering. And as I went into the back, so into the back of the sanctuary, someone came running up to me and, and this lady whispered in my ear and said, pastor, we've got an emergency. So I thought, pastor's here to help. Put on my cape. Is there a Bible verse you need me to explain? Does someone need prayer? What do you need me to do? And then they whispered in my ear and they said, the women's bathroom needs toilet paper. (laughs) Now, as you know, my gifts are teaching and leadership. But at that very moment, what Bay Hills needed most from me was what? Find toilet paper. So that's what I did. And sometimes... You have to ask the question, where am I most needed? Where's the greatest need? And at least start there and figure out, can or should I slot myself in there? See, one of the reasons we serve is because it makes the church stronger. Another reason we serve is because it makes us more mature. It makes us, me, more mature. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Oh, by the way, if there's one verse that people point to as a pastor's job description, it's this one right here. This is what God says one of my primary job descriptions is. Look at Christ himself gave pastors and teachers. That would be me. So he's saying, let me explain to you why God gives pastors to a church. Look at what he says. He gives pastors to a church to equip the people for works of service. One of my primary jobs is to encourage you to serve, to show you where to serve to motivate you to serve, to prepare you to serve, to coach and train you to serve. That's one of my primary job descriptions given to me by Jesus. Gives pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that, here comes the result, the body of Christ is built up and mature. So what he's saying is that when when I do my job and motivate you to serve, and you jump in and do your part, not only does the church benefit, but here it comes. You benefit. You become more mature. Now, I'm going to assume that you're here because, for the most part, 98% of you didn't get dragged here this morning. A couple of us did. But 98% of you are here because you want to grow in, in, in your faith. You want that. You want to know one of the best ways to grow in your faith? Do something. 
serve somewhere. It's very interesting. I've noticed over the years conversations with people. And they, when they're talking to me about Bay Hills, they always say, your church, your church, your church, until they start serving. And then they say, our church, my church. Do something somewhere. Pick something. Because the church is stronger and it makes you more mature. The third thing, let's put it up there, is it makes God happier. You, you do know God has feelings, right? He does have feelings. He's not just up in heaven stoically, you know, just sitting there watching and looking down on earth. No, he's got feelings. Very interesting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have you ever read that verse before? Find out what pleases the Lord. Why? Do you want to make him happy or sad? It's sort of up to you. In a weird way, it's sort of up to us. Now, Paul, in the previous chapters, already told us One way you can make God happy. Notice from Christ, the whole body. Here's this illustration again that we are a body. We're a team from Christ, the whole body. That's the church. It grows and builds itself up in love. That's the second, uh, the first bullet point. It makes us stronger and more mature. And now notice, how does that happen? As each part does its work. We are stronger. You are more mature And God is happier when each part does its work. This is a huge, huge concept in the Bible. Growing in faith, being part of a church and impacting how God feels is dependent upon whether you're in the game or on the bench. It's always been that way. Now, I want to wrap up. So far, I've talked to you about where to serve and why to serve. I'm going to, especially this last point, is for those of you who are already doing something. Because this is very, very important for, for, for those of us that are serving and the ones that are going to start serving. Let's put this next slide up there. Let me show you something real quick. First Corinthians chapter 12, when you look at your Bibles, is about spiritual gifts. The top of my Bible says concerning spiritual gifts. And he gives us the big picture of spiritual gifts. If you draw, if, if you go forward to, um, to uh, chapter 14 of, of Corinthians, you'll notice that that chapter is also about spiritual gifts. It's about the gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, a couple of gifts that sometimes get misunderstood or misapplied in the church. And so we have here, 1 Corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is about spiritual gifts. Just take a wild guess. What do you think chapter 13 is about? It's about spiritual gifts. You want to know the biggest mistake people make at weddings? Oh, pastor, can we read chapter 13 from Corinthians? And I always say, sure, that'd be fine. And I read it. Chapter 13 of Corinthians has nothing to do with marriage. Nothing. You know what it has to do with? Spiritual gifts. Because what he's trying to help us understand in chapter 13 is this. Last thing I want you to write down. You need to check your attitude and check your motive. Tina Turner wants to know what's love, what's love got to do, got to do with it. And Paul would say everything. Everything. What you do and how you do it and why you do it is critically important. First Christians chapter 13, first couple verses. If I have the spiritual gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. Oh, that would be great if someone did that in the church. Wonderful to serve that church, the church that way. If I have faith that can move mountains. Oh, we just have this people with the gift of faith. They pray and we got a facility next week. Awesome. 
but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I don't do it with the right attitude and the right motive, nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I mean, this person's got the gift of giving and they're just writing check after check after check after check. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body to hardship that I may boast, in other words, they're volunteering for everything, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Now, listen very, very carefully, those of us who are already serving. One of the most important thing Paul says about serving is you best check your attitude and your motive. You know why? Have you ever served next to someone you know doesn't really want to be there? Have you ever done that? Whether it's here or whether it's in a, a, a you know, coaching a, a softball team or being part of the PTA. They volunteered. They're doing the work, but you can tell they don't want to be there. They are grumpy and they're complaining and their attitude just stinks. How fun is it to serve next to someone like that? Not very fun. By the way, um, this is so important because at some point in time, even in the church, if you volunteer, if you jump in and participate, someone's going to drop the ball. Someone's going to mess up. Someone's going to let you down. And what determine, what determines of what happens next is almost always based upon not your actions, but your attitude. And some of us got to tweak our attitude. Do you know why? You are serving, but your attitude stinks. And Paul says, and God says, if you don't turn that switch, it's better for you to step off the team. That's how big a deal it is. A couple things. Why I serve and how I serve always should be driven by love. Why I serve. Why do you serve? Why should you serve? Because your pastor says so? Because your wife says so? Why? Because you're trying to impress other people? How I serve, my attitude, am I serving willingly, am I serving joyfully? You see, the reason we serve our motive and the way we serve our attitude should always be based on love. That's Corinthians 13. Check your attitude. Story of about 400 years ago, two guys are are laying bricks and someone is watching these two guys side by side laying bricks. And comes and sees one of them is grumpy and complaining and cussing out his co-workers. And he goes up to him. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm just laying brick on top of brick day after day. That's what I'm doing. The guy right next to him doing the same job is whistling. He's excited. He's working quickly. He's alert. And the guy says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral for the glory of God. Same job. Different attitude. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. What are we trying to do here? We are trying to build a church for the glory of God. Regardless of what you do. And oh, by the way, there are some very non-glamorous, lane bricks type of jobs. I've been told one of the most important things we need in our children's ministry right now, you want to know what it is? A bathroom team. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? What does the bathroom team do? They just walk the kids to the bathroom because of where the bathrooms are located. We don't want them running crazy, right? And you go, it doesn't sound that important, that spiritual. Have you ever tried to listen to a Bible lesson or a sermon when you got to pee real bad? (laughs) They're not coming to Jesus. They got to pee. It is important. It is important. 
I'm going to tell you how I'm going to wrap this up and what I want you to do. We've tried different methods over the years. We're going to try something new and keep it real simple. These are different information meetings that are going to happen this week. This week. If you feel God has interested you and said, maybe I do need to help somewhere, somehow. Um, we will have information meetings this week, probably right over there by the TVs and the couches. Um, and they will last 25 minutes. I'll have you in and out in 25 minutes. If two people show up or 20 people show up, I'll be over there. Children's ministries tomorrow at 630, 25 minutes. Student ministries tomorrow at 730. The next one is administration. This Every ministry needs administration. These are the organizers and the planners and the detail people. We're going to have a meeting. It doesn't sound very fancy, but without these people, we fall apart. And if you're one of those kind of people, right over there at 630. And that, I didn't want to say other, but that's what it really is. Some of you have served in different churches, different capacities, and you know where you would best slot in. We're going to have one uh, half an hour session at 730 for men's ministries, women's ministries, prayer ministry, missions, maintenance, discipleship, anything and everything. Right. And then the last one on Thursday at 630 our worship ministries. And here's what I want you to do. When you leave here, there are clipboards in the back. And if you're interested because you're not plugged in somewhere, go back there and sign up for one of those info meetings this week. And in 25 minutes, I'll talk to you about what the ministry is, what its needs are, and then basically say, you tell me if you can help or where you want to help. I want to wrap up by uh, reading a passage from Exodus 17. I'm going to have Stephen come up to the keyboard. And as he's coming up, I want to read to you a story that um, my small group came across this past year. We were studying the book of Exodus. It's a very interesting story from Exodus 17. Let's put the verses up there. It says, The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites were one of the biggest enemies that the Jewish people had. And it says, Moses said to Joshua, Moses was the leader, Joshua was the new up-and-coming leader, the, the, the leader of the army. He says, choose from uh, some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. They're invading us. They're attacking us. Tomorrow, says Moses, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua, you're going to be fighting and I'm going to be on the hill. And, and while you're fighting, I'm going to take the staff of God, which represented the presence of God. And he says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and her went to the top of the hill. So you've got Moses on the top of the hill with Aaron, and you've got Joshua, Joshua on the field fighting. Next verse is, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. He takes this staff of God and calls upon God's power and presence, and he says, We need you now. We need you to help us fight this battle now. And as Moses holds the staff above his head, they're winning. But when his arms come down, they start losing. Weird, strange story, but that's what's happening here. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. Then Aaron and Hur held up his hands and held up his arms. One on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And so summarizing this story, here's what we have. Here's how they won the battle. Moses is the guy leading. He's the one talking to God. He's the one that's come up with the plan. He's the one that has the vision to go into the promised land. Every organization, 
Every business, every church needs multiple leaders. In this church, we have multiple leaders. Every leader has a director, a point person, whatever you want to call them, they're leading. Very important and vital to the health and the strength of a, of a church. Joshua was the one doing. He was the one fighting. He's the one that had the sword. In every organization, in every church, you need some guys with swords. Some guys like Joshua who are fighting, they're in the trenches. Reminds me of Peter in the New Testament. He was the guy with the sword with the disciples, right? You remember what happened when they, they, they tried to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter pulls out his sword and chops the guy's ear off. You need at least one or two guys like that in every church. Chop people's ear off in the name of Jesus. <laughs> fighters, really, fighters in the trenches. But then you have all the people behind the scenes that no one saw. Aaron supporting what was happening behind. As we wrap up our service, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to all stand with me. I want you to put your Bibles down. I want you to put your notes down, your purses. Just give me a couple minutes as I wrap, wrap up. What I want you to do is I want you to hold your arms up like Moses did on that mountain. Do it right now. Everybody put your arms up. Everybody put your arms up. Do what Moses was doing on that mountain as he was reaching for the power and the presence of God. He was calling upon God and he says, we need you now. We're in battle right now. We need your power and your presence. And I want us to reach for God, his power and presence in our lives, in this church's lives and in our community. It needs the power and the presence of God because without that, families are falling apart and couples are getting divorced. Kids are walking away from the Lord and people are getting hooked on drugs and alcohol. People are consumed by fear and worry and worse yet, souls are dying without Jesus. Keep your arms up. Reach for that. I want you to reach for the vision that God has for this church. Reach for it. The eternal and the invisible. That vision of helping everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Reach for that. I don't care if they've never heard about God or they're a brand new Christian or they've been saved for 30 years. Every one of us needs to take a step closer to Jesus and the vision of this church is to help everyone do it. Keep your arms up. Do what Moses was doing right about now. My guess is that your arms are starting to get a little achy. Can you feel it? Just a little sore. Some of us right now are thinking next time I go to the gym, I'm going to have to do some more work on my arms. I didn't know just 30 seconds that would feel like that. Common sense tells me I should let you put your arms down. I don't I, give me 30 seconds. Keep them up. Keep them up. You know why they're up? Because I want you to feel what ministry leaders are feeling when they are serving the kingdom of God and serving his church here at Bay Hills, but they don't have enough people on the team. I want you to know that what you feel in your arms is what pastors feel in their souls. They're given a vision by God. But there's not enough people on the team to pull it off. I want you to know that what you're feeling in your arms, some ministry directors are feeling right now at this church. And in conversations with some of them, they're telling me I'm about ready to put my arms down because I'm tired. I'm about ready to give up. I don't think I can hold it up any longer. And I want to say to you, don't let them do that. The good news is, is I believe we have an army of people 
ready to get involved and ready to fight for God and for what he wants to do in this community. If you believe that, say amen. Are you excited about what God has done in the life of this church last week as we committed to reach out to the poor and this week as we're committed to get into the life of the church? Do you believe that? Give the Lord a hand in terms of what he's doing in our church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for those that are part of the team and those that are serving. I want to thank you that each of our ministries is doing their little small part to help people take their next step closer to you. But Father, last week as you challenged us to reach out to those that are hurting, this week you you challenge us to reach out and serve those who are right here. Father, and some of us come week after week and we sit and we soak and we enjoy what Bay Hills have to offer. Maybe we've never thought about how significant and how important and the kind of contribution we can make. We believe Satan as he's whispered in our ear that we don't matter. We thought, I haven't been serving for weeks and months on end and they keep doing church. But Father, I pray that you would speak to those folks' mind and help them realize that we need some more keepers of the spring. We need some more people like Aaron that are going to help support these ministries and help support these leaders. Father, I know you love this church. And I love this church. I love it for what we are doing and what we are accomplishing. But I can only imagine what we could do in this church and community if we were all following what Corinthians 12 talks about. We would be unstoppable because of the power and the presence as you work in and through us. Heavenly Father, my job this morning was to present your word. Your Holy Spirit's job is now going to be to convict and to challenge folks. Because they got to want this bad. It's going to be so easy to sign up and not show up to the meeting and just kind of slip in and slip out. That's easy to do. Father, I pray that people would want this. They would want to be part of the team. Realizing the difference it makes in our church. Realize that the difference that it makes for you. And even realizing the difference it makes in their own life. Father, I thank you for what you've done in our church. And will continue to do. We will now respond in obedience. Whether it's coming to that meeting and signing up. Or whether it's walking up to a ministry leader and say, I'm ready. Where do you need me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. You pray that We pray that you would continue to powerfully work through us so that we could help everyone take their next step closer to Christ. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. And all the team said, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.